Anne Lamont said, You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Jesus assumed that we would have enemies when he said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Some people are hard to get along with. Uh, maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. I, I don't know. But will you love your enemies? Uh, will you do what's best for them, even at a challenge, even when it hurts? A death row chaplain, Russ Ford, said, Jesus didn't teach us to love our enemies for their good. It is for your own good to keep from becoming the enemy. So we're in a, a three-week series on conflict and relationships. Um, the enemy is, is, is tough. It's, it's tough to know who the enemy is at times. Uh, so last week we looked at a story uh, about two ladies, two sisters named Mary and Martha. And, and this, uh, the idea was about their personalities and their expectations. And so it was like, okay, they have a relationship, and how can we prevent conflict before it happens? Well, today we're reading a different story of David and Saul, and the conflict's it's going on already. It's strong. Saul is trying to kill David, and so uh, there obviously is conflict, and so today's idea is more about reconciliation. Now that there's a problem... Yeah, what are we going to do? So, um, the enemy in today's story, it's very clear. Uh, you know, when, when I read the story, you're going to know who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. The problem, though, is it's not always clear with us. It's not like you have someone out to kill you. It's, it's not like there's just someone who's, maybe there is, uh, but in, in some of our situations, in our relationships, there's this conflict and there's an enemy, but it's, it's uh, a little different. Um, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids or your parents. Um, maybe it's a coworker. See, so this story, I, I think, although it's very extreme in, in bad guy, good guy and bad guy, uh, I think this story will help us in our everyday relationships and moving forward appropriately through conflict. And, and so uh, we're going to look then in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to read about King Dave, or David, who wasn't the king yet, and how he responded when King Saul was out to kill him. So 1 Samuel 24, starting at the beginning. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the Lord's anointed. Uh, with these words, David shar sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. All right, so uh, David is with his men, and they, are, uh, they go into a cave. And I, I don't see the whole picture here, but Saul took 3,000 men, and he was on a mission to kill David. So the enemy is very clear. Saul is trying to kill David, and they get to this cave, and they didn't have a, like, it wasn't like a Casey's gas station, even in, in the Midwest. Um, but uh, they, they didn't have the, the bathroom to go to. There wasn't an outhouse. So 
Saul really had to go. And so when you got to go, you got to go. So he went into a cave. Well, it happened to be the cave that David was in with his men, and they were kind of in the back hiding, so uh, they had the perfect opportunity. David could have went up and killed Saul right there, um, but he didn't. I think the first lesson that we really get is don't attack your enemies. Now, that, that seems like an easy thing to do, or, or maybe not, but when someone's coming at you and your relationships, which we have all the time, when you are the one that's feeling like oh, they're, they're always bothering me, you won't leave me alone, or it's your boss or your spouse, and you can't ever do anything right, don't attack your enemies. Yeah, it's, it's very clear, it's very simple, but it's very hard to do. Even, even more so, it's, it's hard for, for uh, David probably here because um, his men were trying to get him to attack his enemy. Yeah, they did it by misusing God. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So his men are saying, hey, this is what God wants. God wants you to, to kill him right here. David quickly realized that's not the way forward. Uh, but there's a, there's a word to describe uh, the fact that God works through events and circumstances and, and people according to his plan. It's called providence. And providence is when God wisely and lovingly works through events for the ultimate good of his own people. Romans 8, 28, uh, probably the most clear and sometimes confusing uh, passage about this, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see God working in the situation, and you see David trusting him. And this is humility. Uh, humility is when you trust God uh, more, more than yourself. Now, David, David didn't make the decision to spare Saul because of the outcome. You have to understand this. He didn't say, it would be better off if I didn't kill him. It would be better for me if I didn't kill him. That wasn't his, his thought process at all. He said, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. In other words, I don't believe God wants me to do this, so I'm not going to. We have to consider people along the way, for sure. Uh, we, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We have big decisions in life, and there's opportunities for people to be hurt on many of those. David's an example here. We have to know that there's a better way. Um, and and even, even, uh, even though his men uh, were very, uh, I don't want to say forceful, there's a lot of peer pressure. Do it. No, he didn't do it. But Saul was trying to kill David. But he couldn't let that, he couldn't let that be the decision, or the factor in making his decision. Uh, we have to let the hurt go sometimes. Uh, and I'm not, this is one situation. There are probably situations that you've been in that lasted for days, lasted for, for weeks or, or years. Your entire life you've been hurt by the same person possibly. David had to make a decision to be humble and trust God. And just like David did, we have to be careful in taking advice. The even well-intentioned Christians uh, might not give you the best advice. Um, myself, uh, the elders, a, a Christian, someone who's been a Christian for 50 years, their advice might not always be accurate. It might not always be what God wants. Now, we hopefully, uh, we, we, we try to look to God and submit to him, but I would filter it when I hear it. When you have a big decision and you, you go and talk to someone, you think, well, they're a Christian, they won't steer me the wrong way. Filter that. Uh, listen for things like, if, if they use words like, well, I feel this way. Or, in my experience, this is what I would do. Maybe, uh, maybe listen for other words like, 
well, there's this really, there's this really good story in the Bible that kind of relates to your story. Like, read this. Or this is what Jesus said about this. Even well-intentioned, well-intentioned Christians might get it wrong. We have to trust God before man. That's what David was doing here. It appears he made the right move. And so David did the right thing, or at least what it looks like. Uh, and he told his men what that was. But then came the hard part. The first part was he, he, forgave. Uh, he, he forgave Saul. That's the, the first step. But then he has to take action. Verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father took, or my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See, there, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. You are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. And the old, as the old saying goes, from evildoers comes evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? See, he's acknowledging that uh, he, he calls Saul, he says, my father. So the king would pass down the throne to their son. He's acknowledging that you're the king now, and I'll be next. But he says, I'm a dead dog or a flea, meaning I'm harmless to you. He finishes with, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. This is when it gets tough. It might be easy to forgive, it might not. Um, but it doesn't require a lot of action. See, the, the golden rule of do unto others as you would want done to you, uh, it, it wasn't new. Uh, it used to be don't do unto others what you wouldn't want done to you. And, and so it was, it was really saying just don't do anything bad. That's easy. I mean, for some people, I think that's the easier part. Don't do anything bad to your enemy. Don't attack your enemy. I forgive, I forgive him, it's good, but I'm never going to talk to him again. Yeah, you, you, better, you better stay back. I'll forgive you as long as you stay out of my space. Now, David had to take the hard step. Try to make things right. Yeah, this is reconciliation. It might be easy to forgive in your mind, but how easy is it to actually make things right with another person? But, you know, we might say it's not safe to do that. It's, it's not comfortable to do that. I don't really need to. I can move on. We can both live our separate lives and we'll be fine. We don't need to make it right. This was not safe. This was not easy. Saul could have killed David on the spot and no one would have been able to do anything. Saul was the king and yet David went out and he laid face down on the ground and Saul could have cut off his head and, and that would have been it. It wasn't safe or easy. Now, I'm not in favor of putting myself in unnecessary risk, um, and I don't think you should too. I think if you have an opportunity for reconciliation and it's a safe way, then you should take that. But David didn't. He didn't have a better option. No, he had to act fast. The idea is that we don't just sit back and wait for the other person. Yeah, if we're the Christian, we're going to talk about this a lot more uh, towards the end. If we're the Christian, we need to reconcile. Yeah, we don't just stand back. Even if you are 
uh, 100% in the right and the other person is completely wrong, it's, not, it's still not uh, the right thing to do to wait for them to act. That's not, that's not the Christian move, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. So David does a couple of things here that, that I think are practical. Uh, these, are, these are lessons that we can take from this story that probably would help us in a lot of our conflict today. And the first thing he does is he, can, he confronts Saul's paranoia. He says, why do you listen to the words of the men who say David, David seeks your harm? This is gossip. Yeah, when one rumor starts uh, and, and then uh, you hear it again, or even if you only hear it once and you start to think about it, and then you might believe it. And, and that gossip, uh, was, it was completely a lie, so David had to confront that first. We might have to go to the person and say, hey, I know you, you heard this, or, or even you heard it from me. Sometimes, sometimes I say things, and, and you hear it in a different way than, than how I said it. And that happens in our marriages. That happens with our kids. So any kind of marriage counseling, uh, you might get this advice. Like, so if my wife and I have a disagreement, which I don't know if we ever have, um, but <laughs> she's here today. Uh, but she would be right, okay? She would be like David, and I would be like Saul. But let's just say that, that uh, there's some miscommunication. And so I would say something, and then she would have a chance to say, this is what I hear you are saying, because what I'm trying to say might not be what she's hearing, and so I need to make sure that there's no breakdown in communication. That's kind of what's going on here. There was a breakdown in communication. Saul believed something that wasn't true that David never said. Second, he, he clarified his intentions. Uh, he, he says, but my hand shall not be against you. See, that, that one rumor... That one belief, even if it's a lie, it can grow so much. And even if it started out as something that wasn't true, in our hearts, we believe it's true, and it starts to eat at us, and there's this bitterness. And then you assume the worst in every situation, and it, all, all that would have to happen is a clarification on that one fact um, or false claim. And so that's what David did. He, he clarified. Now Saul knows the truth about David. And, and so this is the beginning of reconciliation, and we, we're going to read the rest of the story. And you can see just by doing those two small little things, uh, fixing the, the, uh, or clarifying the breakdown of communication, it worked out really well. Let's finish the story. Verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he not let him get, get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you for the way you treated me today. I know that you, you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave Saul his oath and Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, this is probably not the, the, the hardest thing to do, but I think this might be the most helpful. Agree to do each other good. We, we have enough people that don't agree with us in life. We have enough challenges and, and breakdown in, in relationships and conflicts. Could you imagine if you, if you could look at someone and say, yeah, he means, he means to do me well. Like, I know I don't have to worry about her. Like, we're, we, we got each other's back. That's what they kind of did here enemies, one of them trying to kill the other, and they leave agreeing to do each other good, agreeing to have each other's back. David and Saul, they, they made this agreement, and Saul actually didn't keep it very long, which sometimes we get burned when we forgive people. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way we want. 
But David did keep his agreement, and it, it did help someone. He brought Saul's grandson, who couldn't walk or defend himself, a guy named Mephibosheth, to his own table to eat with him. Yeah, in 2 Samuel 9, 7, it says, Don't be afraid, David said to Mephibosheth, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you to the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, David could have forgotten about his oath. He could have moved on. But this was true commitment to God. This was humility, and this was real reconciliation. Uh, he knew that forgiveness was necessary to move forward. To, not always, to, to know that there wasn't always an enemy behind you just wanting to attack you. C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. And that's so true. He, he, it's so hard to act on this. I, I know it is. There are probably many of us in here today that need to forgive someone, and, and it's, I, I think I can do it. But when we get to Wednesday and we haven't done it, it's probably not going to happen. We'll always have this conflict this broken relationship. But maybe it matters. I know it's going to matter. Uh, it matters a lot. But maybe practically, even for your, your kids or your grandkids, uh, maybe it will make a difference. Maybe it, it's not life-saving. Um, but to know that there's someone else out there. The world's just such a small place, and the more enemies we have, and, you know, I might make an enemy, and, and my kid wants to go get a job, and and uh, the hiring person, well, that, that person's someone that I was, wasn't nice to, and my kid's not going to get the job now. Sorry, kids. Um, I mean, there, it's, just, it's just such a small thing, but it's so practical. It can matter so much. But that's kind of short-sighted. See, it's a bigger, there's a bigger picture here. Forgiveness requires faith. If we say we're Christians and we have faith, we have to forgive. Um, do we trust God that he'll make things right? Because when we don't, there's a problem. There's a problem when we don't want to make things right. There, there's a problem when we don't want to reconcile. There's a problem when we don't really want to trust God. I read a quote by Thomas Burton, and I think this really spells, this really helps explain the problem. He says, Do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is a savage just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy because he thinks you are a savage. Or perhaps he is afraid of you because he feels you are afraid of him. And perhaps if he believed you were capable of loving him, he would no longer be your enemy. Do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is an enemy of God just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy precisely because he can find nothing in you that gives glory to God. Perhaps he fears you because he can find nothing in you that God loves, uh, in you of God's love and God's kindness and God's patience and mercy and understanding and uh, understanding of the weakness of men. Do not be too quick to condemn the man who no longer believes in God, for it is perhaps your coldness and avarice and mediocrity and materialism and sensuality and selfishness that have killed his faith. When we don't want to make things right, uh, when we assume the worst, when we don't want what, what is best for everyone, including our enemies, yeah, we are the problem. Jesus said, love your enemies. It wasn't making a joke. He lived it out. Jesus said it, and he lived it. Romans 5, beginning at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were, here it is, 
while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? If we say we're Christians and we won't forgive each other, we won't have unity in the church. If, if we tell the world about Jesus and we say, yeah, you know what, you and I, we were enemies of God. And, and we, couldn't, we couldn't make it right. He could, and you know what he did. Even though we were 100% wrong and he's 100% right, yeah, he, 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 he didn't even play it safe either. God, all-powerful God, he sent his son to die. He did what it would take to give us new life. If we're going to say that we're Christians and we believe that, but we won't forgive the person because they did something wrong to us, do we really believe it? And will anyone else actually believe us? If I say that God is loving and forgiving and he will do whatever it takes to reconcile the relationship, but I won't, no one's going to listen to me. Yeah, we will fail. This message today is the gospel. Uh, this, this idea that, that one person was wrong if the other one made things right. We were wrong. God made it right. We became God's enemies. He made the first move. He didn't wait for us to try to get it right. We couldn't get it right. And so he, he did what was not safe, but was loving. That is, our, that is our story and example and message of God's love so that he would bring us into the family. We would share that with the world and offer forgiveness and reconciliation to show my feelings, my pain, I can let that go for your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for taking the first step. We have, we have failed you. Uh, we are selfish. We have wronged you. Um, yet, you still sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Even then, to know how loving you are, I thank you that it didn't end there, that, that you would raise Jesus from the dead. We know that you are powerful, and so we can trust you. Uh, that's where our humility comes from, not, not because, uh, because we just hear that you're powerful, but because you showed it through raising your son from the dead, and in that you've offered us new life. And so I pray for every person here that we would do anything possible to reconcile relationships with others so that we can share your story in the most powerful way. Thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.